0: Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the word together, Sunday mornings at nine and 11 a.m. We meet at one, two, three, four, four, West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott.
1: Okay, we're in the book of uh, Philippians. Sorry, Uh, the Bible. Yeah, okay. Uh, The church is going through this uh, deep study in the book of Philippians, and we're in chapter 3 for the next four Sundays. And so... My section this morning is chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. So what I'd like is for us to stand as we read the Word of God together. So let's go ahead and stand. And we're going to look at the first six verses, then we'll start with the word of prayer. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh i more so circumcise the eighth day of the stock of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of the hebrews concerning the law a pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless Father in heaven, we're setting this text before you. We acknowledge that it was the Holy Spirit who moved upon the Apostle Paul to write these things. And so these we count these as the words of our Lord. And so we're asking now that you'd minister to us from these truths by way of the Holy Spirit. And help us, Lord, to bring it home to our own lives today. And we thank you, Lord, for this privilege, this opportunity to dig into the Word of God and to have the Spirit of God search our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the Apostle Paul loved this uh, group of house churches, these brethren that are part of these small churches in the city of Philippi or so, so close to him and to his son in the faith, Timothy. And of course, we know from the book of Acts that the Dr. Luke was part of Paul's uh, travel group coming first of all into the city of Philippi. And it had been 12 years since he first came into the city of Philippi from the time that he wrote this epistle to all the way back when he first saw them. And so... As he writes this epistle, he is sitting under house arrest in Rome for the gospel. And yet, as you read through the whole book of Philippians, you don't see him complaining. You don't see him asking for pity. You don't see him bemoaning his um, unfairness of the whole judicial system. You don't see any of that. His focus is to build up the brethren. And so um, the one concern he had, and we see it in this chapter, is that they, they don't allow joy killers to come in and rob them of the joy that's in the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ they were to remember that their hope and ours is not based on their goodness not based on their religious credentials or their even their self-determination their joy had to be in the lord and in what he had brought to them without them deserving it so we're going to take this these six verses break them into three parts Uh, verse one we're going to call rejoice in the lord verse two we're going to call Reject the Joy Killers, and, and that's verses 2 and 3. And part 3, Remembering His Old Confidences, verses 4 through 6. And really, this section ties in with the next section with the next section. So we'll see it unfold a little more clearly as we make our way through chapter 3. So let's start off in verse 1 because he begins to write here finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord now when we read at first finally it gives us the impression he's trying to close the epistle and yet the Greek word that he uses is not like in conclusion it has to do with as for the rest he spent the first two chapters really showing that God was working in the midst of his incarceration and that god was was furthering the gospel even in the circumstances that were so bad and he encourages them to be like-minded there in chapter two because he had heard through epaphroditus who had brought the gift uh, from the philippian church to the apostle paul in jail he had heard that there was a little bit of conflict contention going on especially between a couple of very important co-workers they were ladies and well that's in chapter 4 and so he he wants the fellowship to be like-minded to humble themselves focus on the Lord love one another and Jesus is that that perfect picture of laying down his life humbling himself and so they were to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling because God was going to work in them to will and to do for his good pleasure and then he says finally in other words as for the rest and he's there such a burden on his heart that things would be received by the brethren that would kill their joy in the Lord get them off focus and destroy that freedom and that grace that God had brought in the gospel and so he says finally my brethren rejoice in the lord now in the first two chapters you can look at it and the words joy rejoice rejoicing occur 10 times already so it's strongly on his heart to keep the focus when light when life goes bad we can all of a sudden become so focused on what's wrong that all of a sudden it, it just destroys our joy But the joy in the Lord, uh, notice it's in the Lord. It's not in circumstances. It's not in fairness of life. It's not in everything happening according to my reasonable plan. It's joy in the Lord. And that's an important phrase because it qualifies the joy. The word rejoice in the Greek is in the continuous action sense in other words what that means is to do so now and to keep doing so so it's not just a one-time rejoice it's keep rejoicing keep rejoicing but it's joy in the lord and i have to say that there is a huge difference between joy and happiness don't confuse the two because you can have joy in the Lord when life is terrible, when you are being persecuted for your faith. You can have joy in the Lord because Paul is living it. He's, he's under incarceration. He's been there for almost two years, and it's so unfair, and yet he has joy in the Lord. Joy is so different in quality than happiness. Joy in the Lord is deeper it's rooted in the hope of salvation through faith in the one who's righteous, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But happiness, on the other hand, is a fleeting condition based upon circumstances, upon feelings, and upon expectations fulfilled. I mean, you can think back on the time when you, when you were really happy Everything was working. You got that promotion. You got that job. Maybe you had a windfall. um, You didn't know was coming, and you had this big increase in money. But I tell you what, although the experience of happiness can elevate our senses for the moment, it can quickly turn to sadness when things begin to crumble. And by the way, they will eventually because everything in this life is for a season and things change. Things change. Just think of this. All of us have seen reality shows or game shows where somebody, a contestant comes in and they guess the right numbers and all of a sudden they win a Tesla and then they win a vacation to Cancun for two weeks. And they're all excited and everybody's up in arms and it's a big deal. Confetti falls down and all the rest until they get the tax bill. You see here's the deal the the value of that Tesla and the value of that Cancun vacation is counted as income and it puts you in a whole other tax bracket and you got to pay taxes on it which could add up to a half of the value of the two things so you got to sell the city silly, silly car because you can't afford to have it you can't afford to pay the tax you don't have the money and all of a sudden it implodes They don't show that on all the TV shows. You know, that's the aftermath. Happiness can quickly turn to sadness. But joy in the Lord is based on something entirely different. It's based on the Lord. It's not based on my circumstances. And here's an important question to ask. When plans begin to crumble and circumstances start falling apart in your life, as a Christian, here's the question. Do I still believe God is true to His promise and that He is ultimately in control of all things? Even though you don't understand why, and it doesn't seem fair can you trust the goodness of God that he's working his plan his way in his own time my wife and I have gone through the loss of all things a few times and we have watched the Lord rebuild things from the ground up and we've come to learn And we'll probably still learn in the future that stuff is stuff. It's just molecules. And like Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That wasn't some cliché that Job learned. It was how he lived. My joy must be in the Lord and what he's done for me not what I've done for him and I must daily offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving to his name that's a high sacrifice the scriptures talk about just being thankful being thankful for the simple things for the little things that we don't deserve that we haven't earned because it keeps our heart in that place of humility before God he has given us His righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, and I, I know who I am underneath that. I've got this robe of righteousness. I'm, I'm accepted of God 100% as if I was perfect, but I know I'm not. <laughs> and He knows I'm not, but He accepts me because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been given to me when I placed trust in Him. Not before. He's provided the opportunity but it's not mine until I believe on Jesus. I mean, I think you've heard the example. Somebody can give you a check for a million dollars, and it's valid, it's good. He's a billionaire, and it just, um, it just happens. So you walk around with this million-dollar check in your pocket, and you think, man, I'm so rich, I'm so rich, but you never cash a check you hear the gospel and you see all the goodness and the richness of the gospel and you go, I understand that. That's wonderful. But you never trusted Christ. That's cash in the check. So you're walking around with the check in your pocket and you, but you're just poor as a church mouse. You've got to cash the check. You've got to believe on the Son of God with all your heart. Surrender your life to Him. And then you are truly rich. Let's continue on in verse 1, because the second sentence says, For me, to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. It's not a burden for Paul to have to keep talking about rejoicing in the Lord and, and telling them, be, guard that joy, be careful of that joy. It's safe for them. He wanted to keep them safe from those things that would hinder them and rob them of that special joy in the Lord. There's this connection between verse 1 and verses 2 through 6. He's not It's not just off the top of his head saying, oh, by the way, rejoice in the Lord, just throwing it in. No, no, it's, it's, it's much deeper than that. Because all around the Mediterranean world, there were those uh, believers who, who were of jewish origin that were coming in to spy out the grace of god and the liberty and try to make the gentiles conform to the mosaic law first before they could be accepted of the lord And that kind of legalism would crush the joy and especially uh, for the Gentile, they're brought in purely by the grace of God, not because they have special lineage at all. They were outside of the household of of faith and God before they believed. But we see that actually happening in Acts chapter 15, in the city of Jerusalem, in the church in Jerusalem. And so it's not some far-fetched thing, but It was happening at the moment, and it was such a burden to the Apostle Paul. And he understood it because he was one of those. But, and he went further than that, as we'll talk about in a minute. But it's especially true regarding this whole rite of requiring males to be circumcised before they were accepted to be a part of the people of God. So they were coming in, to say listen if you haven't been circumcised you're not a part of the, of the family of God yet even though you believed on Jesus and they were bringing in these rules and these re- ritual requirements upon the Gentiles and con- causing all kinds of confusion and it ripped them off from joy and so here we are in the 21st century I mean I've, I've, I accepted the Lord 54 years ago and i don't recall anybody coming to me and saying i had to be circumcised to be a christian i mean how does this relate to me well let's let's change it let's let's bring it into today i have had well-meaning brethren demand of me that i do certain things or god isn't quite as pleased a certain dietary laws that I should be keeping if I really wanted to be close to the Lord I've had them demand that I obey the Sabbath every week I've had them tell me that I needed to use the Hebrew pronunciation of Jesus as Yeshua in order to be respectful of Him <sighs> And, and when I read through the New Testament, I don't see that demand. And what's happening here is they're bringing in extra rules and implying that unless I obey those particular rules, God is not quite as fully pleased with me. And, and when I start receiving that, I find that I'm feeling like I'm not quite good enough because I don't measure up. And that's not the basis of the grace of God. There's nothing that I can do on my own to make me holy enough to be accepted of a holy, pure God. I can't do anything to be adopted into his family on my own. That's why the father sent his son because there was no other way for any human to be redeemed from their sinful condition. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. I need to say this over and over and over again. It's more than just self-talk or positive thinking. Keep this heavenly perspective. It's all about Jesus and your faith in him and him being your high priest your representative before God the Father he goes on in verse 2 this is our second section reject the joy killers verses 2 through 3 he says beware of dogs beware of evil workers beware of the mutilation now uh, don't think that he's talking about your puppy at home It's, it's not the idea here but first of all Notice it's beware, beware, beware. And that's for emphasis. Because he could have just said beware of these three things. But he wanted to strongly emphasize to them to be on guard. Because in the Greek language, the word beware means constantly observe with a view to avoiding. Constantly be looking at it in the sense of bewaring. It's not like okay, well, I've got to be sure that that doesn't fall down. No, no, no. It's it's something is so dangerous that you're always mindful and careful. It's a continuous action. And the first of all, uh, beware of dogs. Seems like such a random thing to say. Um, uh, finally, rejoice in the Lord. By the way, beware of dogs. It's like what? What's that? Well, this isn't your normal puppy dog. This is, this is the wild scavenger dogs of the day. And so what's he talking about? He's talking in the context about those well-meaning believers who are going to come in and attack you because you're not obeying certain rules. And he calls them dogs on purpose. It's a, it's a term of derision because they're not walking in the grace of God and they're destroying the faith. And then he calls them, secondly, um, evil workers. More than evildoers, they were actually working against the grace of God and it was an evil work they were doing. And thirdly, he calls them, um, beware of the mutilation. In the King James it says, the concision. And because they were so focused on this whole thing of making uh, Gentile males acceptable to Judaism before they could trust in Jesus, he says, you guys are just, you're a hack job. You're, you're, you're the mutilators. Beware of them. And then he wants to make clear what that is all about. Um, and in the next verses, he says, for we are the circumcision, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So, um, we're not so much focused on circumcision these days, but what is that legalism that can come in and rob us of our joy in the grace of God? Let me just explain how it happens. It, It starts off with a decision in our life to include a certain spiritual discipline to help us keep focused on honoring the Lord and His Word. And God will accept that. Let's say you decide to say, you know, Lord, I really want to set aside between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. just to pray to you. And so when you make that decision to the Lord the Lord will receive that and so or or maybe it's Lord I want to read five chapters of the Bible a day that's my discipline or I want to fast once a week and I'm going to just focus on that time and so these are certain disciplines that you make a decision because you want to draw closer to the Lord and you do it unto the Lord and, and you know the Lord will receive it he'll work with you he'll receive it maybe it's even how you dress when you attend worship services or how you lift your hands during worship or how high or how low (laughs) i mean it just gets intense i've seen so many things or even how you pray and the very words you use it's got to be king james or god doesn't receive it i mean i've you think really are you kidding well if it was good enough for the apostle paul it was good enough for me by the way king james was written in 1611 i mean that doesn't fly well that's that's silly but yet there are people that because it's a a shakespearean then it has more authority because after all it sounds like it and and you know there are some pretty good power words you know He stinketh, you know, and and we, we love those King James words. But, secondly, there comes a subtle mindset based in pride that rises within to believe that God is so pleased with your new discipline that he sees you as especially close to himself. And then that leads to, thirdly, beginning to use the discipline as a standard by which to measure other believers' relationship with God and asking them if they're including these disciplines in their everyday life. Because after all, you are, and you're getting so much closer to the Lord and implying that they're not so much. You see the difference? And then fourthly, you begin to elevate that discipline to the same level of importance as Scripture, and it has become a legalism through which you judge others. Starts off with just a a discipline. And then fifthly, you've become a Pharisee. And you've lost sight of your pure, full standing only by God's grace through faith in His perfect Son, Jesus. Disciplines are important and they're good when they're grace-based. Let me explain to you how I've learned this in my life. I got saved when I was 18, just a couple of years ago. The house we were living in in Portland, Oregon was this old three-story house. Our rock band had rented it and... um, some Christians moved in to help pay the rent and eventually I got saved and uh, quit the band eventually and then the band guys uh, moved out so we had our own Christian house if you've seen the movie Jesus Revolution that was that was us you know we were I ran a couple of those houses so at 18 I'm I'm reading and says Jesus says when you fast okay Lord I'm gonna fast I'm gonna I'm gonna fast three days I'm not going to fast 40 days, that's a little much, God, but but three days, I can do three days. Three days, three is a perfect number, so, okay, three days, and I'm purposed. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, I'm not going to eat a thing. And so, you know, I'm really really working on it, and I get down the first day, and, you know, I did it well the second day I woke up with a tremendous headache because when you don't you know when you're drinking caffeine and then you don't have it it pays you back and so you know I'm like fighting this headache I'm going okay I can do this I can fight through this I'm reading the Bible and going for walks trying to witness on on the street and and do all that well on the third day here's the thing Our bedroom is upstairs and so i'm like pulling myself up (laughs) the handrail to get upstairs i'm going man i'm like weak what's going on and so um so we're in this christian house and a couple of the sisters in the house decided to bake bread and because you know you don't tell anybody you're fasting that's what jesus said don't tell anybody you know anoint your head wash your face uh, don't appear to anybody to fast, but they are thinking I'm acting a little strange. So, anyway, they baked this bread on the third day. It was like this, like this uh, dark brown um, seeded bread. Like, and it was like you know the, the the smell of the wafting of that baked bread was coming upstairs, and I'm just going, God, please help me. And so, then all of a sudden, they said, Bob would you like to taste this we've we've cut a slice off for you and it's just freshly buttered and I go yeah sure so I came down and I, I took it and I was like oh this is wonderful and I took a bite of the bread and all of a sudden I realized I had failed God over a low a piece of bread like Esau My, I'm not even saved I mean I mean all of a sudden everything imploded what kind of Christian? Am I even a Christian? And I was under super condemnation for the next five days. Was I even saved? Because, you know, what kind of a Christian am I? I can't, even, I can't even make it three days, and I failed over a slice of bread. What a stupid, I mean. So what had happened is I turned the discipline into a legalism on me. And you know, when you're hard on yourself, you're hard on other people, too because you've set it up when it's not grace-based and you're judging other people through your discipline. And I don't think that pleases the Lord. Even in your effort to try to please the Lord, you end up not pleasing Him because you're not walking by grace and love. It's important that we deal with one another in the grace of God. That's called grace space. I give grace to you to work out your salvation. You give grace to me. We'll have good days and we'll have not-so-good days, but let's just work it out together. God's in it for the long term.
0: This is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by His Holy Spirit.
1: Paul goes on and he says, listen, verse 3, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. When he says in the flesh, it has to do with all of those works that I rely upon to be found accepted of God. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4 is the exhortation from the Lord to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, that old sin nature. You know, don't be following that, you men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one in outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which means praise, Judah means praise in Hebrew, who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, or outwardly, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And notice the three things. We, we worship God in the spirit, we rejoice in God, Christ Jesus and number three have no confidence in whatever we trusted in before in the flesh sometimes before you I mean think about it those of you that are Christians here before you knew the Lord there were things that you trusted in to make it to heaven uh, maybe it was the fact that you got baptized as a baby or you had Christian parents uh, you attended church Sunday school as a kid um, I remember going to church when I was a little kid you know they threw you in the basement that's where, that's where all the Sunday school was the flannel graphs and, and the ladies playing the piano and the flip charts and all I remember all that church membership, confirmation uh, pray over your meal then before you go to bed and by the way I want you to strike a prayer and not not teach your kids the prayer you know the prayer now I lay me down to sleep I pray the soul, oh Lord my soul to keep and if I die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take what are you saying I mean you're freaking out the kid if I die before I wake come on this is a prayer I mean, don't, don't be using that prayer or or like you know you sit down to pray i mean you've heard like rub a dub dub bless the grub and and that's it you know that's your prayer for the meal really dude are you relying on that are you kidding me you're going to choke on your turkey you know like come on <laughs> or maybe you're saying i'm not as bad as some people i try to be a good person try to keep the 10 commandments which by the way you can't you always fail And maybe you've obeyed all the church demands of confession, indulgences, vows, prayers for the dead, prayers to former saints. It's all works to hopefully be found acceptable enough when you get to those pearly gates to be let in. But understand, you're relying upon all your efforts to be accepted of God. Because if it was all about that, God would not have had to send his son. But the reason he sent his son is because no human can be good enough. That's works, and you know there's no assurance that you'd be saved in that day. Have you done enough good works? How much do you have to do? It's not like Santa Claus weighing out the good with the bad. But the Bible is very clear. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have gone aside. The sole basis upon which God will accept you or I as his child and be allowed entrance into heaven is our trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, we read this. Thomas said to him, Lord, how can we know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in the first part of John's gospel, in chapter 1, verse 10, John writes, Jesus came into the very world he created, this is in the New Living Translation, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not by a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan but a birth that comes from god i remember reading this at age 18 when i first became a believer and when i read it there was just such a thrill in my heart that i am a child of god because i've believed on jesus that's what it says and it gave me assurance it wasn't based upon my works it was based upon his work for me. Let's look at the last section, verses 4 through 6, where Paul starts using his former life to be an example against these Judaizers, as, as we are uh, told of them in the, in the book of Galatians, those that were coming in to um, demand that people obey the rituals of the law of Moses before they could be saved. And he lists seven credentials in his life that had been his sole confidence prior to faith alone in Christ. And so these seven are this. First of all, circumcised the eighth day. Now, he was, he was only eight days old. He didn't circumcise himself. But it showed that his parents were devoted to the law and he was a Pharisee, um, a, a son of a Pharisee. So his, his father was so into it as well. And um, not like those coming in later into Judaism. Number two, he was of the stock of Israel. In other words, not of mixed race. He was a pure Jewish Hebrew bloodline. Not of Esau, but of Jacob. He could could trace it all the way back to Jacob. It's pretty amazing, really. And number three, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a loyal tribe to Judah. Number four, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a role model of what God's chosen would look like. Number five, concerning the law, a Pharisee, the strictest sect of Judaism. Number six, concerning zeal, persecuting the church passion for purity ferret out those heretics condemnation over compassion Acts, the book of Acts tells us he divided families throwing, just splitting up families and throwing them into prison for, for their heresy didn't care about anything about what effect it would have upon families and then number seven concerning the righteous which is righteousness which is in the law blameless offering all the detailed requirements every day doesn't say he was sinless but he was blameless he did everything exactly right and if god could accept anybody based on their uh, credentials it would have been the apostle or actually saul of tarsus All of these seven are summed up on what I have done for God and not what he's done for me. See the difference? And by the way, do you know that God loves you not based on what you do for him? He loves you because he's adopted you, he chose you before you did anything and he knows you're a piece of work he knows there's all kinds of issues that have to be worked out you know before the flood the average age of man was over 900 years God was okay with working with them over 900 years I can't imagine that so what do I have to offer to him just like our chorus just who I am Lord this is is what you get and, and why did you even bother calling me? That's a good question. And the answer is, because he chose to. He chose to love you. He adopted you from the world's orphanage. And you didn't do anything in that orphanage to make him like you. He had compassion on you because he understood You and all he wants from you is your devotion to him. And things will follow out of that, but you are more important than the work you do for him. I'm here to tell you that. And sometimes I, I even after 54 years of walking in the Lord, I can slip into thinking that um, I can't do what I used to do, and is that okay? <laughs> It's amazing I even have the question, but it's, it can be there. Or gee, I remember when I used to, but now I can. Oh and, and some people I've talked to, you know, they've backslidden for a few years and they came back and go, you know, I'm just a second-rate Christian because I, I couldn't hang in there. And you're basing this relationship on your feelings instead upon the truth of the Word of God. Sometimes we can even think unconsciously that we are unusable to God because we've done such grievous sins. But let me tell you something. God read your file before he called you and he knows what he's facing. And he's up for it. He's good for it. And you have to just humble yourself and and say, thank you. I don't deserve it. That's what grace is all about. His riches for us. So this these uh, verses here, in verses one to six, show us that I've got to guard against joy killers in my life. I can have grace-based disciplines, but I'm not to let those disciplines through pride turn into legalisms, where I turn into a Pharisee. I've got to have grace with my brethren. I'm to abide in the grace of God and have that simple joy that's only in Christ Jesus. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we we pray that you'd work by the Spirit of God and draw us closer to yourself. And if there are certain disciplines we need to have, may they be grace based disciplines. And Lord, if there are any disciplines we have subtly started using to be legalistic and we start judging other people, would you just reveal that to us by the Spirit of God? Because we need to repent if that's what's going on. You called us to walk in love and in grace toward one another. And Father, if there are those that have not yet surrendered their life to Christ because they're trusting in their own works or their own efforts or their own goodness, may you reason with them and may you give them the courage just to trust you alone. If this is you this morning, And you need to surrender your life to Christ. You've been trusting in yourself. Put all that aside and trust only in Jesus. And so how you do that is you just simply talk to him. And say to God, God, I ask your forgiveness. I've been trusting in myself instead of you. I believe Jesus died for my sins so I could be forgiven. I believe Jesus rose from the dead by the Spirit of God on the third day to prove you accepted what he did for me. So God, would you adopt me into your family and call me your child and put a new spirit within me Cause me to be born again. If you prayed that prayer along with me, I know God has heard you because He's been watching you all these years. And for the rest of us, God, help us to just get more simple in our life with you and more deep. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's
1: foothillscalvary.org.